0: Hey everybody, this is Ellen Weatherford.
1: And Christian Weatherford.
0: We're back with another episode of Just the Zoo of Us. Do you know we're coming up on episode 100? Are we? Yeah, it's gonna be soon.
1: That's awesome. We're also
0: coming up on our second podcasting anniversary.
1: Wow. I know, (laughs) we've been doing this for so
0: long now. Look at us. How it started and how it's going. We sound much better now than we did when we started. Yeah. It's been quite a glow up. Well, Christian and I are still not experts in the field of zoology, but we do a lot of research to make sure that the information we're bringing is trustworthy and reliable.
1: Uh, not to say we have plans to change our expert status. <laughs> no, that will
0: probably remain constantly at the sub expert level.
1: <laughs> in this subject, at least.
0: That means that we're consistent. You can, you know what to expect from us. Yep. You keep those expectations low.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're an animal review podcast. We review animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. Also, if you hear any baby sounds in the background, it is because our baby Finley is watching Mickey Mouse. So you may hear a little bit of that.
1: He is rolling away as we speak.
0: Bye, Finley. <laughs> he's in the rolling phase, so he's just having a grand old time. Loves it. Mm-hmm. All right, Christian, what's your animal this week?
1: The animal I bring to the table this week is the American black bear.
0: Ooh, yeah. Scientific
1: name, Ursus americanus.
0: It's our American bear.
1: Yeah. This species was submitted by our friend Rob Van Eck in the Facebook group.
0: Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. That's our buddy.
1: I'm pulling information from Animal Diversity Web, National Geographic, found at nationalgeographic.com. So this is an animal most people that live in a lot of the world would be somewhat familiar with, at least with the concept of bears.
0: Yeah, we know what bears are. Yeah. You've seen a bear. <laughs> uh
1: This bear, the mass or weight, ranges from 39 to 409 kilograms, or 86 to 901 pounds.
0: I'm sorry, 86 to 901?
1: Yes. That's quite a range.
0: 900. Are you sure (laughs) about that?
1: I would suspect a typo, but (laughs) I would have had to make a typo both in in imperial and metric. Okay. (laughs) The length is 1.2 to 2 meters or 4 to 6.5 feet.
0: Okay, this is starting to make more sense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And keep in mind their weight uh, yo-yos quite a bit seasonally, and we'll talk about why.
0: Okay, sure. It's all starting to come together now.
1: In terms of location, this specific bear can be found across North America, much of Alaska, almost all of Canada, most of the USA, and into central Mexico.
0: Mm -hmm. We have them here. Yes. I've seen them.
1: We do taxonomic family ursidae or the bears in their ursus genus there are four species there's this one brown bears polar bears and asian black bears
0: okay so we've got our black bear and then there's another black bear in asia yes okay brown
1: bears also known as grizzly bears Mm -hmm. and polar bears okay Bears that are not in this genus. Panda bear, for example.
0: Oh, okay. Yes. Something funny that I saw recently was this. uh, It was from an article. I don't know what the article was about, but it showed like an editor's note about this article where it said like, we previously erroneously stated that the bear in this article was a brown bear. It was not a brown bear. It was a black bear that was brown. Yeah,
1: so... (laughs) That is actually my very next thing. Okay. <laughs> Despite their common name, they can come in many different colors, like blue-gray, blue-black, brown, cinnamon, and rarely white.
0: Cinnamon? Yes. How come they gave that one a cutesy name and all <laughs> the other ones they were just very like, yeah. It's...
1: To distinguish it from brown, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> this one's cinnamon. <laughs> they could have given
0: them cutesy names. Yeah cream cream (laughs) nutmeg
1: (laughs) so (laughs) the florida black bear is actually one of 16 subspecies so first category of effectiveness this talks about physical attributes things that let them do the things they want to do so i'm giving a 9 out of 10 for effectiveness
0: that's pretty good yeah
1: first up is their size healthy adults don't have common predators
0: I wouldn't imagine that yeah. they do. It, you'd have to be hard-pressed to be bigger than a bear.
1: Yeah. Uh, though there have been documented cases of fatal run-ins with larger bear species. <laughs> the only thing
0: that can take down a bear, that's a bigger bear. <laughs> and of
1: course, you know, their young are more susceptible to other predators like cougars and wolves, like the gray wolf. Next thing I want to talk about is hibernation. Very interesting subject with lots of animals. Um, so, in The black bear, this means a slowed heartbeat and metabolism, and also lower activity. Me also. It's meant to make up for the lack of food availability during the colder seasons, and the length of hibernation can be affected by the length and severity of the local winter. So our black bears might not hibernate as much as, say, black bears found in the more northern United States and Canada.
0: It would be pretty silly for a bear in Florida to hibernate for the 12 seconds that it is Anything resembling cold in Florida, we're not exactly braving the blizzards out there.
1: Very true. So the idea is they survive off their fat reserves that they build up prior to the colder months. Mm-hmm. So they'll spend their autumn collecting food, cultivating or, uh, mass, eating it. I guess they don't really collect it; <laughs> they're eating bulking it,
0: bulking up. Yeah, for sure. I have a lot of respect for the strategy of like when things start to get tough. There's not as much food around, it's cold, it's unpleasant. Rather than toughing it out, bears are like, I'm going to go to sleep. (laughs) I'm going to sleep this one out.
1: Yeah. So they're not eating during this period, but they're also not excreting waste.
0: Oh, dear. So this is
1: where the uh, fecal plug concept comes into play. Have you ever heard of this? No. No.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fecal plug? Yeah,
1: it keeps them from pooping. Oh, dear. During this time.
0: Okay. Is this, I mean, is this something that the bear, like, creates no, inside just, of his it body? No, it just
1: develops inside. It's not like it's shoving stuff up there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I <just> hope not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it just happens internally. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh.
1: I don't have much more detail. Please on don't. This.
0: I don't want any more detail. On this.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, so the next thing I want to talk about with effectiveness is how the reproduction works. So they do this thing where they can delay egg implantation. So, the f- fertilized eggs don't implant in the uterus until autumn. So, they can get fertilized prior to this, but they won't implant or st- and start growing until a specific time.
0: So, she can just save that for later. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to have this baby some other time.
1: Uh-huh. So, the births usually occur in January or in February during hibernation.
0: That makes sense. Oh, she has a baby during hibernation. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that for her. That's very wise. So in the
1: middle of hibernation, have baby, nurse. Right.
0: That's a good time to do it, right? Mm
1: -hmm. And litters are one to five cubs, but usually two or three.
0: That's a good number of cubs. Yeah. good number of baby bears. Mm -hmm. And they're so cute. They are very cute. So cute.
1: Their lifespan is up to 30 years in the wild, but usually 10. Uh, The biggest thing that kills them is humans. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) We're always messing something up for somebody. Yeah.
1: They're hunted as big game in lots of the United States. And also car collisions is a thing.
0: That makes sense. The one wild bear that I've seen in Florida, I saw running across the road. I saw it in my headlights mm-hmm. because it was in the middle of the night, and I was driving down 95 um, towards Orlando, mm. and a bear ran in front of my car in the middle of the night. Yep. <laughs> and I, th- thankfully, was not going fast enough. I didn't hit the bear, but it didn't seem particularly like a great idea to me to be doing yeah. that.
1: You'll see bear crossing signs all over the state, too. Oh, yeah.
0: And they, yeah. they mean it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Something worth mentioning, the black bears in Florida are actually black. They are. Yeah.
0: Great for not seeing them in the middle of the night when they run in front of your car.
1: <laughs> so they also have a strong sense of smell. They're good at climbing trees. You probably have seen pictures on the internet of black bears up in trees.
0: It looks so goofy. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. Because they look like they're too big to be up there. Yeah.
1: Yeah it's both an escape tactic and also a way to get bird eggs and hatchlings and such.
0: Mm, okay. Uh,
1: speaking of which, their diet, they are omnivores. The majority of their diet is plant matter. And the, the part of their diet that is meat is mostly insects. But they will feed on vertebrates opportunistically. They also enjoy honey.
0: Of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll,
1: uh, they'll rip into beehives to get the honey if they find them.
0: This is so timely. We were just watching Winnie the Pooh. Yep.
1: Uh, They also, this this becomes a problem with commercial beehives. Oh. (laughs) So bear defense has to be a consideration there.
0: What a charming problem to have. (laughs) Oh, these teddy bears are eating all of my honey.
1: (laughs) They will often seek out human sources of food, like garbage.
0: So this is why, I imagine that this is not unique to this area, but in any sort of like Large park or something. All of the trash cans will be like encased within yeah. this like vault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this bear-proof sort of barricade inside. Uh, oh, God. barricade!
1: <laughs> there it is. <laughs> so yeah, this has been a big problem for a lot of the national parks in the United States. There's a internet meme joke. <laughs> That's so. That goes along. It quotes a park ranger as saying there is considerable overlap in the smartest bears and the dumbest tourists mm.
0: when trying to
1: develop a trash can that oh, <laughs> can, yeah. that cannot be accessed by bears, but can be accessed by humans. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you got to
0: get in that sweet spot there. Yes, I mean we have the advantage of thumbs.
1: Yeah uh so yeah that that has been a big problem with bears that become dependent on human sources of food uh so much so that uh when that source is removed uh they starve and become way more desperate in getting food
0: mm, this is where you have conflicts yes. between the humans and the bears yes that's why you shouldn't feed bears
1: yep so you know regular psa don't feed wild animals
0: still don't do that
1: yep bad bad bad
0: but yeah like I see a lot of times I'll see videos floating around on social media of people like, wow, look how cool and sweet this bear is. And I, the angle that I think they're going for is that I think they're trying to be like, See, look, even though it's a bear, it's still a sweet, gentle soul. We should all love animals and be their best friends. And I get that they're going for maybe like a pro bear sort of angle. Yeah. But ultimately, what that's creating is this like, oh, we should all just feed the bears directly out of our hands and lure oh. them close to us. It's bad for everybody.
1: Yeah, not good.
0: No, that bear is going to either attack and kill someone, or get attacked and killed because it's going to get a little too close to somebody who does not want to be its friend.
1: Yeah, so it's
0: bad for everybody. Don't do that. Yeah. I get, I get it. I get it. I also want to hug and pet the bear. <laughs> they look so cute and so so cuddly and so fluffy. But just don't. It's a bad idea. Yeah. I can relate to the urge, but it's one of those <laughs> forbidden. Yeah. It's a forbidden friend.
1: Not great. So that wraps up effectiveness. Moving on to Ingenuity. So Ingenuity is smart things. Clever. Yes.
0: Strategies.
1: Tool use. Behaviors. Kind of I'm giving an 8 out of 10 for the bear.
0: That's, that's good. Yeah. That's decent.
1: They're very smart and have a very good learning capability. Uh, they have communication, which includes body language, sounds, touch, and scent marking. So they will use scent marking and like clawing at trees to mark territory, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. They are not as aggressive as grizzly bears, relatively timid.
0: They're also much smaller than grizzly bears. I can kind of see why.
1: Which is kind of interesting because their range overlaps with grizzly bears. Mm -hmm. So they kind of adapted in ways that they don't run into each other very often.
0: (laughs) It's probably for the best. Yeah.
1: So black bears like to be in dense forests, uh, whereas grizzly bears are a bit more looking for more open forests. Okay. Um, And also uh, black bears are... Crepuscular.
0: Ah, I love this word. Yes. So they're out at kind of like the twilight, dusk, dawn, stuff like that. Not exactly. Yeah. Not totally daytime, but not totally night either. Right.
1: And then the final category of aesthetics, which is how cute they are.
0: <laughs> how nice they are to look at. Yes. Nine out of ten. Yeah, cute, definitely.
1: Cute ears, cute babies, stubby tail. However... <laughs> the movie Annihilation.
0: Oh my God, I cannot believe.
1: (laughs) It's kind of ruined part of the aesthetic for me.
0: Yeah, I cannot (laughs) believe that I did not anticipate you going there because we had an issue with the movie Annihilation.
1: (laughs) Lots of people have the one thing that bothered them the most in the movie Annihilation, and Mm -hmm. I think also the books. If you've read the books, I haven't, but in the movie, (laughs) the bear monster is what really did it for me.
0: Yeah, the bear monster is a lot to handle. The bear monster, I think, Well, the movie was set in Florida,
1: right? I think so, So yeah. So that would have had
0: to have been a black bear.
1: Yeah, I guess so. Which, thinking
0: back, I think that in the movie, they maybe did that a little bit wrong, because that seems a little bit more grizzly bear to me.
1: They can get very big. Okay. Like, like the biggest black bears are pretty, pretty big, but... um,
0: I've never seen a black bear as big as the bear in the movie.
1: No, you wouldn't. Um, Though, I'm... I'm I don't have it in front of me, but like yeah. the largest black bears ever recorded are f- really big. <laughs> yeah. the
0: The black bears I've seen have been... Maybe, I don't know. What do you think? Like waist height, maybe? Like hip or waist height? Like on all fours?
1: Yeah. But, I mean, they're easily, mass-wise, a large person.
0: Yeah. Well, the one in the movie is horrifying it's it's not fully bare and that's all i'll say about it (laughs) i'm not gonna spoil the movie for people but so we went to see this movie annihilation in the middle of the night not knowing it was a horror movie yeah we thought it was like a sci-fi fun strong female-led sci-fi adventure yeah and then we left traumatized (laughs) i had a panic attack and we had to leave yeah (laughs) it was a lot like that was well we didn't we made it through the movie i desperately did not want to make it through the movie but we made it through the movie gosh it was viscerally terrifying i Mm -hmm. don't like scary
1: movies (laughs) i'm told there were scarier animals in the book but Mm. uh, that's all i know about it
0: no it was uh, i there was a scary gator in the movie oh yeah the bear was way scarier than the gator though
1: Uh, yeah but i think that was largely how they presented it and Mm -hmm. anyway Uh, My last little bit of information, conservation status is of least concern. So, like I said, huge, huge range. They're not worried about how they're doing. They kind of feed off the human impact, which is unfortunate. Mm. (laughs) I mean, in some places, you know, their ranges are being segmented, but overall they're doing fine. So something I forgot to mention, I think, is you know, these bears are normally, you know, not traveling around in groups. It's usually individuals or a mom with their cubs. Mm -hmm. And that they'll come together for mating. But when they when you'll see groups of them is these opportunities of a lot of food in one place. Yeah. An example of that are landfills.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Bear party. Yeah. Very well, central
1: and also you know the the typical uh, oh the salmon are going up the river now there's a bunch of bears in the river you know oh sure sure that sure whole thing, which, that's
0: a grizzly bear thing right
1: well there's also the black bears in that part of the the continent that so that's the northwest united mm-hmm. states and the western canada right but yeah they they get in on in on that party too
0: i love that <laughs> i love bears They're so cute
1: yeah I believe there are more incidents of black bear problems than grizzly bears, though that's, uh, I believe, largely because of just the population difference of how many more black bears there are. Um, And
0: also black bears just, like, live in more densely populated areas, I feel like. You're not going to find a grizzly bear in very, like, urban areas, I think. Right.
1: So, yeah, that's the American black bear.
0: I love these bears. Wasn't this, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure the black bear was the bear that teddy bears were based on.
1: Yes, um how'd it go? Teddy Roosevelt
0: mm-hmm.
1: he wrote about bear hunting a lot in his several things he he wrote about hunting in general.
0: oh, he loved hyping himself up. He, that <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt was his own hype man. He <laughs> loved to write about how cool and tough he was.
1: Teddy Roosevelt as being um i I couldn't tell you which one, but one of the United States presidents
0: the sixty ninth <laughs> president <laughs> nice. nice.
1: <laughs> I forget the details of this story. I think it was Someone invented the teddy bear based off of, like, a cartoon that is based on Teddy Roosevelt (laughs) (laughs) with a bear. I don't know. I forget the details. Supposedly, Smokey the Bear was based off of a black bear that was injured or maybe died in a forest fire. Oh, no. Or maybe caught in. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have Something these stories like, prepared. You okay. might have to cut this whole section out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's too late, baby. I already got you <laughs> floundering on the mic. It's yeah. okay.
1: So yeah, uh, lots of, uh, cultural significance with black bears because of how widespread they're found across North America.
0: Oh yeah. These are our buds. Yeah. Good friends. We love them. Be nice mm. to them, but, but not too nice. You know, don't be feeding them out of your hands. Feed Come from on. from a
1: distance. Don't be a weirdo. Don't leave your food anywhere.
0: Don't leave your food anywhere ever. Just eat it. <laughs> just stuff it into your mouth and swallow <laughs> it all.
1: And the, you know, our r- most recent run in with these bears were when we were in the North Georgia mountains mm. and we were just driving along and then we saw a black bear just kind of th- at the edge of a wood line. And then as we were turning, making this like curve on the car, then it kind of bolted.
0: Yeah, and it was it was kind of like you said in like a dense forest area. You know, it was like these woods with the trees very tightly packed and close together. And right as soon as we were coming around the the corner, the bear kind of looked at us, saw that our car was coming, and turned around and ran back into the trees. So it was really cool. We were really excited. We yeah. about lost our minds, and the car <laughs> we were like, "It's a bear." <laughs> <laughs> I'm always excited. That's the second time in my life I've seen a wild bear, other than the one on 95 in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah, all mine have also been from the safety of an automobile. Yeah,
0: definitely. Both times, (laughs) safety of an an automobile. I would not approach a bear. Neither should you. Leave bears alone. Respect them from a distance. (laughs) That's all I can say. Yep. (laughs) Hey, friends. I wanted to take a really quick second to give a shout out to our patrons on Patreon who make this show possible. This week, I would like to give a thank you to Jacob Jones, Jacob Schick, April Kamik, Sarah Peterson, Vikram Beliga, Brie Feinberg, Britt Vickstrom, Dalton Weeks, Diane Clare, Julie Gilson, Christina Sanders, Patricia Morgan, Paul Chomo, Randall Beeman, and the Mad Scientist podcast. Thank you all so much for helping make the show happen. For this segment of the episode, we'll be joined in the studio by Finley Weatherford.
1: <laughs> so, baby, what animal do you bring this week?
0: This week, I'm really excited about this one. This one's pretty different. Mm -hmm. This is called the Scaly Foot Snail. Wow. A.K.A. the Scaly Foot Gastropod. A.K.A. Are you ready for this? Yeah. The Sea Pangolin. Whoa. Right? Isn't that cool? Yes. The scientific name is Chrysomalin squamiferum.
1: Wow. It's
0: a cool name. It's very catchy. (laughs) Sorry about the cat. This species was submitted by Ashley Tucker also in our Facebook group. And Ashley is a good friend of mine and proudly wears a t-shirt with our podcast logo on it out and about. So thank you, Ashley and the entire Tucker family. We love y'all. Thank you. I'm getting my information from... The websites of the Marine Bio Network, which is marinebio.org, the website of deep sea biologist Dr. Chong Chen at squamiferum.net, and also the paper that Dr. Chong Chen is an, one of the authors on. It is called The Heart of a Dragon, 3D Anatomical Reconstruction of the Scalyfoot Gastropod Reveals Its Extraordinary Circulatory System by Chong Chen, Jonathan T. Copley, Katrin Lintz, Alex Rogers, and Julia Sigwart. Awesome. Yes. So, this little snail, it's only about an inch wide, um, which I guess is kind of big as far as snails go. Yeah. Now, where you're going to find them is integral to the snail. Like, in order to understand the snail, you must understand where they live. Okay. They live in these things called hydrothermal vents. Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, boy. And some of y'all are going to be mad at me because you probably turned on this podcast like... I'm going to learn about animals. Definitely not going to be any geology in this podcast. <laughs> Definitely not going to have to learn about earth science at all. Sorry, guys. Psych. We're learning <laughs> geology today. Because you, you have to understand hydrothermal vents in order to understand the snail. So what is a hydrothermal vent? You, you got to ask me that.
1: Uh, oh, me? Yeah, ask me. But if I already know?
0: Okay, mister. <laughs> okay, mister. I took earth science.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Ellen, what are these hydrothermal vents?
0: Thank you. So there are these places at the bottom of the ocean where the pieces of the Earth's crust, the plates, right, Mm -hmm. that make up the entire outer sort of shell of the M and M that is the Earth. Um, (laughs) So these melts in your mouth, not your hand. (laughs) The plates are—you know—the plates are moving all over the planet, but there are some places at the bottom of the ocean where these plates are pushing apart over time. Mm -hmm. So what happens when these plates push apart is that they form ridges where new crust is rising up from the gap between the plates. And then cold seawater is getting into these gaps from above. So when this cold seawater seeps into the Earth's crust and gets heated by the super hot magma that's under the Earth's crust, it heats it up, Right. And there's, Mm. there's massive pressure from, you know, just the weight of everything and also the heat of everything gets the water really hot and it shoots it back up right out of the earth's crust. And it, when it gets shot back up out of the earth's crust, it is full of earth gunk. Right. So while it's underground, it's soaking up all of that just muck from underneath the earth's crust. Right. So it's got sulfur, methane. Metals like iron and zinc and copper and stuff like that. So the, all that stuff gets kind of mixed into the water. And then when the water gets heated up and shot back out, all of that gunk gets shot back out with it. So it creates this volcanic eruption. Mm -hmm. It's very dramatic. It's basically just this like burst of black, gunky, gross water. It's super hot too. So you get high temperatures chemicals all in the water it's a very 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 hostile environment so for a long time it was assumed that these hydrothermal vents were just dead zones with no life they're like it's too dark it's too hot it's too toxic there's no way anything could live down there not so so once scientists were able to actually send submersibles down there to actually get eyes on what was going on down there they're like oh my gosh, there's so much stuff that lives down here. Yeah. There are surprisingly huge animals that live down there. There are six and a half foot long tube worms that live in these hydrothermal vents. Mm -hmm. Um, There's all sorts of things. There's like mussels, there's crabs, there's worms, there's all sorts of stuff that lives down there. So this is possible because the microbes in these really hot, dark areas... They're not relying on photosynthesis to turn light into energy like the microbes on the surface are. Instead, they are using a process called chemosynthesis to turn inorganic chemicals into energy instead of light. So all of that earth gunk that's floating in the water down at the bottom of the ocean, that's what those microbes are turning into energy. They're relying on that instead of light because there's no light down there, right? Yeah. So this lays sort of the groundwork for an entire ecosystem that is based on chemosynthesis instead of photosynthesis. So obviously the stuff down there is going to be pretty wild looking to us, right? Completely different fundamentals of life from what you're going to see up on the land. Right. So that's why that stuff down there is so bonkers. (laughs) It's so bizarre. So that's how you can have this entire thriving ecosystem into what would be to us an extremely hostile environment. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. So, Back to the snail. I'm going to give it, for effectiveness, a 9 out of 10. Okay. This snail is like nearly the definition of an extremophile. You look at the snail, and when you start at the top and you work your way down, at first it's like, this looks like what I expect a snail to look like. Right? They got the spiral-shaped shell. Yeah. Like any other snail. That part, pretty much par for the course. You know what you're getting. But then you get to the bottom... And at the bottom of the snail, whereas on most snails, all you see is this really soft, sort of squishy bit at the bottom. Mm-hmm. What you get on this snail is it's a pine cone. Really? (laughs) Okay. It looks like a pine cone. It's all spiky. And the spikes all sort of overlap each other. This is where the name sea pangolin comes from. Mm -hmm. It has these scales covering the foot part of the snail, which is the fleshy bit at the bottom. The part with all the muscles and stuff, the foot part of the snail, it's covered in these overlapping scales. These scales are called dermal sclerites. It's huh. kind of a cool word. Yeah. So there's still a soft foot underneath. It has the soft, fleshy foot, but it has these scales growing on it, like over it, over the whole thing. And then those scales that are growing out of the snail are covered in iron. What? They're covered in <laughs> specifically iron sulfide. That's
1: pretty cool. Yeah.
0: And so does the shell. The shell has a layer of iron on it, too. So the whole snail has a sort of like iron plating over the whole thing. Yes. It's so cool. (laughs)
1: Because
0: the iron is like glossy black. Yeah. So you can definitely, it looks like it's like wearing a full suit of plate armor. That's pretty neat. It is really neat. So the sclerites are growing from the tissue that makes up the foot of the snail. So the snail is actually producing the scales. So when the scales grow out, they're white when they first grow out of the snail. And then as the iron builds up over the scales, they turn black over time. But scientists aren't 100% sure how the snail covers its body in iron. Some people think that maybe it's some bacteria that lives between the scales of the snail that is, like, somehow able to process the iron in a way that lets it, like, deposit the iron on the scales of the snail. Right. Not any concrete answers just quite yet. Like, how they're able to cover their body in iron, it's just a really cool thing they do. That iron is, of course, like, just floating around in the water around them because it's being spewed out from these hydrothermal vents. Mm -hmm. So they're able to take that iron from the gross mucky water that they live in, and turn it into armor for their own body, (laughs) which is just the coolest thing, like taking something extremely caustic about your environment and being like, nope, that's mine now. (laughs) I'm just going to use it to make myself cooler. Now, there are these different populations of this species of snail that live at different hydrothermal vents Mm. throughout the Indian Ocean, but the populations are kind of far apart from each other, and they're sort of isolated from each other. Mm -hmm. And these different vents have different chemical compositions that they're spewing out into the water. So the snails that live at vents where there's less iron being put into the water, they don't have as much iron on their body. So like some of them have the sclerites are still white because they haven't built up the layer of iron around it.
1: Like Pokemon, like region yes, like Pokemon. region
0: specific. Like some of them are steel type. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's really cool about the ones that live at vents where there's a lot of iron, that they're getting yeah the snail's body is magnetic <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> which i find really funny because i imagine like if you wanted to go just like collect a bunch of them for samples <laughs> to study them you could just that's a, a giant magnet over it
1: <laughs> oops all snails
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way of only getting the snail and nothing else you know <laughs> That I, I found that really charming, that the snail is just, whoop, you can just use <laughs> a magnet.
1: Only, I wonder if the iron rusts. It does. Oh. Yes, good, it does. Good, good guess on my part.
0: It was a good guess.
1: <laughs>
0: so the sclerites prevent the snail from being able to squeeze back inside its shell.
1: Oh, that makes sense. You know,
0: a lot of snails can like, whoop, they can like suck themselves back up inside the shell. Yeah. You can't do that. But the sclerites act as armor for the foot, so it's like they don't need to yeah you know like they just don't need to go back inside their shell because they're already protected so they're doing fine obviously you look at the snail the outside has so much going on you're like this is fantastic but there's also a lot of interesting stuff going on inside of the snail so the snail's body has done some really interesting interior remodeling i think okay the parts of its body that are used for eating. So like the digestive system, the radula, which is something I've talked about with snails before, it's like a scratchy tongue that they use to rasp the food that they're eating. Mm-hmm. All that stuff, it's all severely atrophied, meaning that it is just reduced to the point of like inoperability. It's like it's almost like a vestigial yeah it's a digestive system they don't even use anymore. But a couple of important parts of the snail have expanded to take up the room that was left over by this diminished digestive system. First of all, being a gland in the snail's throat, the esophageal gland. So inside of this throat, it hosts a happy little bacteria party. So it has this whole thriving like world of bacteria that's living inside of its esophageal gland. Another part of the snail that is really putting in some extra work is its heart. Its heart is enormous. Its heart takes up 4% of its body, it has a huge heart that is pumping like crazy blood. So the heart is putting in all this work circulating blood to get oxygen, which is a very scarce resource in these hydrothermal vent environments, right? You're at the bottom, yeah. bottom of the ocean. Oxygen is kind of tough to come by. The heart is cycling through all of this oxygen, not just for the snail, but to oxygenate the bacteria that lives in the snail's throat. And the reason for this is that the bacteria that lives in its throat, they're able to synthesize all of those gross chemicals and turn them into nutrients that the snail needs to survive. Wow. Yes. So the snail doesn't eat anything. It just... Is powered by the bacteria that lives inside of it that is processing all of those gross, yucky chemicals in the water around it and turning it into energy for the snail and powering the snail. So, like, the snail and the bacteria are kind of all working together as one organism. So, this relationship between the snail and the bacteria that lives inside of it is called endosymbiosis. So, we've talked about symbiotic relationships between animals where, yes. like, two animals kind of Um, help each other out this is endosymbiosis so the it's it's relying on an animal that lives inside of it It has a symbiotic relationship with an animal that lives inside of its body this actually the snail needs the bacteria it it cannot survive without this bacteria so it's this type of diet is called an obligate symbiotroph. interesting yeah very cool very interesting i did give it a nine out of ten instead of a ten out of ten and i did want to say that they have no eyes um like at all like just none no eyes zero which is fine i guess because they like live at the bottom of the ocean where it's so dark that like what are you gonna see anyway right (laughs) kind of don't need the eyes they were kind of a waste of space so they got rid of them i mean like when you're down there you're basically like ground is just rolling coal at you all day long so like what are you what are you gonna be looking at (laughs) nothing
1: I hadn't thought about that phrase in a while.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're from a place where that comes up a lot. Second category for the snail is ingenuity. I'm going to give this snail a one out of ten.
1: <laughs> oh, why is that, Ellen?
0: Because the snail doesn't have a brain. <laughs> it has no brain. I'm sorry. So they have this like clump of neurons in their body but whereas in a lot of other snails this sort of like clump of neurons is at least organized into ganglia um theirs is not even that it's just a literally just a mass of nerves it's described in this paper as a solid neural mass it's just no thoughts head empty So I love this line from the aforementioned paper on their uh sort of internal anatomy. Listen to this. In sum, this dramatic dragon-like animal has become a carrying vessel for the survival and propagation of its bacterial endosymbionts. Very it's good. Literally just an armored car for bacteria. <laughs> that's what that's all it is. It's a mobile bunker for bacteria that live inside of it. It's just it has completely excavated its entire brain. Like, nope, I'm just here to <laughs> here for the service of these bacteria that live inside of its body.
1: There's a D and D campaign concept in there somewhere.
0: Ooh, you know there is.
1: <laughs>
0: it's basically like a mech. Mm-hmm. It's an armored mech, is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody listening has been looking for a mech anime idea, um, please at me i'll help you with this this is just me personally i probably wouldn't have chosen to settle down in a hydrothermal vent and make my whole life there but that's just me that's my personal opinion i i do respect their journey for that (laughs) that's fine i wouldn't have done it but i like that for that's that's great for them i'm so happy for them um finally aesthetics for this scaly foot snail i'm giving them a nine out of ten they're extremely cool. The the spiral shape to the shell is fantastic, especially since it is coated with this like glossy black iron. That's really neat. What does the shell
1: I guess what is the shell's coloration without the iron?
0: Just like a you know, like brown snail color. It's nothing okay. crazy. Okay. Um, so I guess I should specify that I'm talking about the ones that are just like done up with the iron deposits. That's sure. very cool. So, you know, they're Spiral shell, I already think snails are really cool looking. So, like, that's already a big plus for me. Mm -hmm. The sclerites kind of make it look like it's wearing like a black frilly, like a fringe skirt of some sort, like a layered fringe. Yeah. It's very neat. Um, Also, the flesh of the foot underneath the sclerites is bright red. Oh. Yeah. So what you end up with is this very cool spiky black dragon looking thing with these like flashes of red underneath the scales. It is incredibly good.
1: And, like nothing would ever see them outside of a human I going know. down with a big, bright light and
0: pearls before swine <laughs> every day, but they're they're extremely good, and it's so funny that, like they really nail that sort of volcano like lava yeah. monster aesthetic they they look very cool. They're really neat. You should look them up, okay, so finally, to wrap up for the scaly foot snail, their conservation status is endangered.
1: makes sense.
0: So since the snail is such a specialist in this hydrothermal environment, its survival depends on the health of its habitat, from the oxygenation of the bacteria that feeds it to the mineral deposits that let it build up its iron armor on its body. So what this means for the snail is that it's really vulnerable to being affected by changes in the hydrothermal vent environment. And a really big cause of this, of changes to this environment, is deep sea mining, Deep sea mining involves drilling into the seabed. So you drill into that bottom of the earth um, to search for and then extract minerals and metals that are underneath. So both the exploratory drilling and then the actual mining itself are both hugely disruptive to the bottom of the ocean. And since the populations of these snails are pretty isolated from each other, Mining could very easily just wipe them all out, right? Like, it's not super easy for them to get to each other to reproduce. Mm -hmm. Like, if one population's taken out, they don't have a lot of wiggle room. So, yeah, they're very vulnerable to that, unfortunately, due to the vast and largely inaccessible nature of the bottom of the sea. A lot of work, a lot of research is... It's difficult to do, and also it's very, very difficult to keep an eye on the bottom of the sea, right? bottom of the ocean, right? Like, it's there's you can't exactly have a security guard posted at the bottom of the ocean, right? Like, there's nobody out there watching to, like, make sure nobody's going around and mining where they shouldn't be. You know, people are just, it's the Wild West out there.
1: This was actually a a big topic in that video game. I forget what it's called now. It was about sperm whales. Mm-hmm. I forgot what it was called. <laughs> Gosh,
0: what was that game? It was it was like Ocean Ocean Beyond Blue.
1: That that's what it was. Beyond Blue. Did you did you get to play that?
0: I didn't play it myself, but I watched you play it.
1: Yeah. So that that was a big part of it was exploring hydrothermal vents and then discovering left behind deep sea mining equipment. And be mm. like, Oh, it's affecting all this stuff, including the sperm whales and stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. So little changes to stuff like that, even though you think, Oh, it's just a little snail, like it, it can have big picture effects yeah um throughout the entire marine ecosystem and like i wish i could give some action items for like what you can do about that but it's <laughs> like what do you, you know like
1: if I, you f- personally find yourself in the position where you can do deep sea mining just don't don't just don't do not do
0: deep sea mining it's <laughs> like i guess i guess i could say you know stay informed Vote for people that are going to listen to the science and support, you know, regulations around deep sea mining and don't deep sea mine, please. If, if you're listening <laughs> to this and you're the CEO of a company that is considering doing deep sea mining, please don't do it. Do something else. Do something else.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's all. I, I. Like, I wish there were more action items I could give. But, um, yeah, this... Actually, this species of snail was the first on the IUCN to be attributed to being threatened by deep sea mining. Wow, yeah, the first like species that was listed as being endangered because of deep sea mining. So now, like after this snail, there have been more that have been added in research to be added to be have been listed as threatened by deep sea mining, but this was the first one. This is an awesome snail. It's really, really cool. It's really, really interesting. Um, I learned a lot while doing these notes. I had to teach myself a little bit of geology for this. So That's hopefully fun. y'all had fun along for the ride on this one. Very cool snail. Thank you for asking me to talk about it, Ashley.
1: Very interesting.
0: Definitely. Thanks everybody for listening come hang out with us we're on social media leave us a review if you liked what you heard today that would be really nice if you didn't like what you heard today please don't leave us a review (laughs) don't do that please um but yeah come find us on social media uh you know hit us up if you have an animal you want us to talk about uh thank you louis zong for letting us use your track adventuring off of your album b-sides as our theme music it's really good yes thank you and thank you to bears and snails for being yourselves out there. It's great. I love what you do. Big fan. Big fan of your work.
1: Sorry for all the trash.
0: So, sorry for all the trash, AKA the human species.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks, everyone. Bye.
1: Bye.